All right. So we've got some awesome things happening over the next few weeks. We're excited about you asked for it. You guys had a lot of great questions, and we're about to answer all of those in the next few weeks. But today I'm excited to uh, introduce you to Pastor Lauren Holtberg, who I haven't known for very long, but he has been a pastor to pastors for a long, long time. And I am, and I don't just say this, when we invite someone in to come and speak to you, we believe that they truly are a part of our family before they come in. And he has been an amazing uh, pastor to me. There have been some extremely difficult situations that a young pastor who hasn't done uh, some of the things that he has done in his past that need help with, that he's walked beside me with, and he has helped me in the fun times and the exciting times, and he's done a lot of great things for my family and, and my wife and I over the last uh, several months. But he is an amazing communicator. He's pastored, he pastored a, a very thriving church in Salina, Kansas for 40 years. And um, we're just honored to have you here today, Pastor Lauren. I'd love to invite you up to speak to our church today. What a, what a joy to be here. My wife's with me. You want to stand up here and say hi to everybody? You turn around. We're, uh, we're almost married 50 years. Can you believe that? We're going through that. So, but what a, what a gift to treat to be here. You know, we almost every weekend we're in a different church. We've seen a lot of churches. And I, and I thought about Kyle and Anna. You, you know, you have a real gift here. These pastors are really a gift. And I, I thought about uh, uh, what the disciples said one time about Jesus. They said, he, does, he did all things well, you know, and you go to a lot of churches and you don't, sometimes you don't want to always say something, but it feels like you guys are doing all things well here. You're really doing a good job, aren't they? You're blessed to be here in the church. You know, I can really say that with, with experience. Yeah. Praise God. Bless. And, and by the way, I said, Kyle, how should I dress? You know, he said, well, I wear jeans and a, and a shirt, a t-shirt without riding on it. So what do you think? Just, I, I'm exa I'm dressed exactly like him, you know, so. I'm just, just see me as a little older version of him this morning. <laughs> well, you know, because I've traveled around to the, the churches, I, I wrote a little book called Holy Grit. And because I, I, I said, Lord, uh, we don't always have the same message for the, the, every church. But I said, what does the church need today? And, and, I, and I got this word grit. You know, grit's that resolve, this hang in there. It's been a difficult time for the body of Christ and for pastors, all the COVID things and things we went through. So this is a book called Holy Grit, Three Questions to Answer for a Resilient, Fruitful, Abundant Christian Life. So I brought a lot of these along, and I'd love for you to have one. Uh, you can just, they're outside on the door there. If you want to give a donation of $5, you can. Otherwise, you can just have one. So but the reason why I say that is because I'm going to answer the, I'm going to ask the first question today and uh, talk about that in my sermon this morning. So here's my simple question today. Do you really know Jesus Christ? Would you think about that for a minute? It seems like a simple question, but think about knowing someone that's fully God and fully man and having a friendship with him. Someone that made the universe and someone that, that took on human flesh and knows everything about us. Do, do we really know him? You know, I, I think about uh, Philip uh, one time was, was asking about Jesus to show him something, and, and Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me? No, we can go to church for a long time, and, and, uh, and do we, but we, do we really know Jesus Christ? You know, I, uh, when, when I ask that question, I think about, uh, 
Think about, or do I know him like I know a famous celebrity? Think about somebody that you admire from a distance for a minute, you know, whether it's an athlete or a musician or somebody, you know. I, I think about I love uh, sports, and uh, this kind of ages me, but how many of you remember Mickey Mantle, great player for the Yankees? Anybody remember Mickey Mantle? You know, I, okay, got some hands back there. But I really liked Mickey Mantle. I had all these baseball cards. I read his book. In fact, uh, uh, when I was younger, uh, the, the, the Kansas City team used to be the A's instead of the Royals. My grandpa would take me to games, and I caught a Mickey Mantle foul ball. Bam. And I waited till after the game to try to get his autograph. It would have been worth a lot of money today, but he didn't have time to give me his autograph. And then the worst part of the story is about two or three weeks later, I played catch with that ball with my friend and lost it down a sewer. <laughs> so I lost Mickey Mantle's small foul ball. But I didn't really know Mickey Mantle. You know, I, I mean, I even have a picture of him and Willie Mays in my office, but I didn't know him. Uh, but, but I knew a lot about him, you know. Is that the way you know Jesus? You know, do you, do you know him in a deeply personal way? So that's what I'm, I want to talk about today. And, I, and uh, as I was thinking about that question, I thought, what's a good section of Scripture to talk about that? Now talk about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a prophetic book. You know, talks about all the things that are going to happen. But the beginning verse gives you real clarity about what this book is about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so what I want to do today is I want to take you through a trip through the book of Revelation. And I want to show you seven revelations of the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe every one of these revelations kind of demands or asks for a response and these responses, I think, define what it means to be a follower of Christ. It defines what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I'd like to pray before we go through this book and also tell you that, that uh, it, it really is an impossible task to know Jesus fully here on earth. In fact, here's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.15. He says, thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. The great apostle said he's never been fully expounded who this person of Jesus Christ is. And then the apostle Peter, here's what he said. He said, whom having not seen, talking about Jesus, you love, and though you don't see him yet, yet you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He said there, there's never been enough praise, or you'd ne he's never been able to be fully expounded in praise and worship. That's how great he is. And then in the book of Ephesians, it's, here's what it says about how, how our task of getting to know Jesus Christ. It says that in the ages to come, the Father might show us the exceeding greatness of his gra grace toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, uh, that scripture says that when we get to heaven, it's going to take Father God eternity to tell us what he did when he sent his son to this earth. So knowing Jesus Christ is really a powerful, wonderful thing. And so as we look at Revelation here, I, I, I want to pray and just ask God for open hearts. Some of you have maybe known Jesus for a long time. Some of you might be haven't known Jesus for very long. But, but I want to pray that God will just open our eyes a little wider today. And I hope when we go through these seven revelations that one of them will just really capture your heart today. So let's pray and ask the Lord. Uh, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, that you would be pleased to reveal your son to us today, Lord. Would you open our eyes a little wider that we might comprehend the greatness and the goodness and the wonder that it comes from knowing you. And so, Lord, I thank you and trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was thinking before I started, I, I, I think that uh, 
I really believe that if we as pastors and teachers, if we can really present Jesus Christ for who he is, and you comprehend that, the rest of things, the rest of everything in your life will kind of fall into place. I really do believe that. So, so as we look today, Revelation chapter 1, here's the picture of the resurrected, ascended, and glorified Christ, all right? If Jesus Christ walked into this room right now and our eyes were open, this is who we would see. This is John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos that wrote, that wrote this. And remember, he's the one that leaned on Jesus' breast. But notice this first revelation of Jesus and how he responded to him when he saw him. So let me read this for us. Uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were as white as wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as refined in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. That's who we'd see right now if he walked into this room. And I thought about uh, Erie and I for our 40th anniversary. We, we, uh, our son got married in Spain, and so we went on a cruise, and we, and we floated by the Isle of Patmos, you know. And I remember, you know, your Holy Ghost goosebumps, you know, what I got? I thought, this is where John wrote this letter about the book of Revelation. And, and, I, and I was thinking about some of the things I said there. It says in this, in this passage that his voice was like the sound of many waters. And, and on the Isle of Patmos, the waves crashed there almost louder than any place in the world because of the rocky coast. You know? And it said his voice, when he heard Jesus speak, was like the voice of many waters. And then I thought about his eyes were like a flame of fire. You know, I thought about one of the real heroes of our Foursquare Church was Sister Evelyn Thompson, and, and she took the gospel to the Philippines. And, and there's more churches in the Philippines than there are in the United States by far. And she, she, God used her miraculously, you know, healing ministry to, to church in the Philippines. And, I, and when I was in Bible college, I got to be her assistant at her, at her prayer meeting because she was an Angelus Temple there. And uh, she, her story was that she was dying of cancer in the hospital when she was a young minister. And Jesus walked into her, her hospital room, and she was healed. Isn't that a tremendous story? But, all, but, but she said, the only thing I could remember about Jesus were his eyes. She said, when he looked at me, it's like there was flames of fiery love that looked at the very depth of my being. And she said, I never thought of anything like that. And, she, and then she said, as she ministered later on to the, to the multitudes praying for people, she'd see those eyes in the corner of the room, those eyes of compassion and love. His eyes are like fiery love that looked into us. And then the one that I like the most about this in Revelation, it says that his countenance, in other words, his face, was like the sun shining in its strength. Whoa. If he walked into this room right now, all of us would pay attention, wouldn't we, you know? But let me just ask you this for, and maybe I'm spending the longest on this one. Don't worry, I promise this won't be a real long sermon today. But is he wonderful to you? Isaiah says, his name will be called wonderful. Is Jesus Christ wonderful to you? If we really know him, I think he should be. What does wonderful mean? One of the definitions of wonderful is absorbed ecstatic attention. 
wouldn't every pastor want you to have absorbed ecstatic attention when you came to church? It also means uh, uh, enthusiastic recognition of superiority. He's Lord. Nothing's more important than him when he's really presented who he is. And the last definition of wonderful means that that's, that's which brings mystery and vitality and energy to your life. You know, if the church is boring, if your relationship with, 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 Christ, with as a Christian is boring, it's, it's, it doesn't contain Jesus because Jesus gives energy and purpose. And so how did John respond to this revelation of Jesus? It says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. What's the right response? I think when we really see Jesus Christ as he is, the, the right response is surrender. We lose our life. You know, Christians, Christians are martyrs, uh, martyrs. We've made the great exchange. We've lost our life and gained his life, you know. When I finally met Jesus, after I got out of the army uh, as a young man, and when I found him there, I lost my life. But I got, got his life, didn't I? You know, so that's the first revelation of Jesus, the ascended, resurrected Christ that through him, all things were made. All things were made by him, through him, and for him. And he holds all things together, Colossians says. Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's a great Jesus. And then the Revelation chapter 2, the second revelation of Jesus is this intimate. The first revelation is kind of an ascended relation, uh, an ascendant relationship. This one is a, a, a intimate relationship with Jesus. We find in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, with the, which are the churches. Every church, like he walks in the midst of the church, and he knows everything that's going on in the church and the people's lives. He knows everything that they maybe need to repent in. He, 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 he uh, compliments every good work that they're doing. And, and what he does is he sees everything that's going on within the church, the, the intimacy of Jesus. Augustine, the great theologian, said that Jesus Christ is closer to us than our own breath. Psalm 139 says he knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows, he knows your, your, your uh, words before you say them. He's acquainted with all your ways. Uh, how, how's your relationship, this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, I think of uh, sometimes uh, our theology is uh, shaped by our experiences we have with God. And, and shortly after I came to know a believer, I came to know a believer. I was home in my hometown of Salina, Kansas. That's where we moved back to and started a church in 1979. That's a long time ago, isn't it? That's when we started our church back there. But but I just got saved, and so I wanted to tell the Lord. I said, Lord, I want to tell you that I'm so thankful that you finally say I finally got my life together, and I have a purpose now, and I know what I'm going to be doing. And so I said, today I'm gonna not going to eat anything or drink anything until I get off work. So I was working for the state grain inspection in the middle of harvest in Kansas, har- climbing in and out of boxcars. You know, I mean, it's really hot. And it was, they didn't drink anything all day, didn't eat anything all day. It's right before Erie and I got married. And I went to the YMCA, which was downtown in my hometown. I went into the locker room of the YMCA. Nobody was in that room but me, right? So I sat down beside a pop machine, right? And as soon as I sat down beside that pop machine, a can of Gatorade popped out of the machine. You know, just instantly. You know, and you might say, well, you know, that was somebody put money in, the machine malfunctioned. But I want to tell you, that experience profoundly affected my theology of God. You know what it told me? I felt like God said, I saw your sacrifice today. And here's a can of Gatorade because I know you're thirsty. 
know. Maybe it means he likes Gatorade better than Pepsi. I don't know. You know? But, but I want to tell you, you know what I decided that day? You know what I decided that day? God's watching me. And he sees every time I make a move toward him, every time I have a thought toward him, and I decided that day I'm going to live my life for the audience of the only one that's really watching, you know, the intimacy of Jesus Christ. He's, I mean, he's ascended and will never fully understand his greatness, but the closeness of him. You know, I, I've been reading over and over again because I feel like this is a new revelation of my life in a deeper way, uh, practicing the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And then Frank Laubach, the great disciple of him, how, how the, he's, Frank Laubach, he says, if we can make the Lord Jesus Christ the object of all our thoughts and the companion of all our conversations, we can make it each moment gloriously rich. You know, is that a powerful goal? It's wonderful to have the presence of God in worship but to have the presence of God continually with us in, in our life. Where he's all, David, the man after God's own, own heart, he says, the Lord is always before me. He's always at my right hand. And so the, our relationship to, to Jesus as a steward of our, of our lives now, our life's no longer our own. It belongs to him. And can we live every moment in his presence? Can we, uh, you know, we, we all want to be successful, but you know what God wants from you? He wants you to be fruitful, fruitful. And there's a difference between fruitfulness and success. Fruitfulness is something that can be tasted, and God wants to taste the thought of your lives. He wants to taste the words of your mouth. He wants to taste your actions. He wants you every moment of the day to bear fruit unto him. That's what he's after. John 15, 10 times he says, if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. No, that's what he's after. You know, so that's the second revelation of Jesus. First, the first one, this great ascendant high relationship. Now, this intimate that he's closer to us than our own breath. Here, here's the third one. Revelation chapter 5, uh, John is taken into the very throne room of God. And he, and he has the revelation of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And yet, when the lion of the tribe of Judah appears, he appears as a, as a lamb that was slain. This is what, What's your uh, re reaction to this revelation of Jesus? Let me read this passage in John, uh, in Revelation chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat upon the throne a scroll written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look into it. So what's this scroll? You know, when it's open, that's when the seals are open and the trumpets and all this prophetic things of the book of Revelation. I think it represents God's ultimate will for creation. You know, God has an ultimate will that hasn't been accomplished right, right? We're in the process. We're going to get there someday. And, and who is the one that's going to make sure God's will gets done for his creation? Nobody could open the seal. Nobody could, could even look into it. But then notice what happens here. And I wept much, John said. Because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look into it. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. But, and when I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll 
out of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. So what's your response to this lion of the tribe of Judah? And yet when he does his work, he does it as a lamb that was slain. What's your response, in other, other words, to the will of God? You know, the will of God is a mystery, isn't it? God's ways, as Isaiah says, aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our ways. But what's my response as, as a priest of God to the will of God? You know, what are the two things that I should do in response to this? I, I think there's two things that we respond to, understanding that God's will is not our ways. We do t- two things. We pray and we worship. We pray and we work as a priest of God. You know, as a disciple of God, I, I, I talk, I live my life for Jesus as a priest of God. I do two things while I'm here on earth. I pray that God's will will be done, and I worship knowing that his will will be done. Because what happens in, in the next verse is those two things happen. Two things happen. Then it said the scroll, then when he taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and then they opened their heart and began to worship, you know? So those two things happen. And you'll notice in the book of Revelation, before the, the seals and the trumpets are opening, the prayers of the saints are looking at. What can I do to make sure that God's will be done on earth? Be a person of prayer. Be a person of prayer. I think the greatest, what a powerful thing for a church to do, 21 days of prayer that you did here. How, what a wonderful thing to do. We've got to remember Prayer is, is, is something, that, uh, the ministry of every saint of God, you know. And, and, and what's the greatest prayer we can pray? God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth that is in heaven. You know, that's not a prayer of saying, oh, God, your will will be done anyway. No, it's saying, Lord, here I am, and I'm partnering with you that in my circumstances, with, for my kids and for my city, I'm going to partner for you that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. You know, it's a powerful agreement of prayer that we can do as, as a saint. That's how we respond to the will of God, isn't it? To be a person of prayer, that we, we pray for that, you know, and, and your prayers make a difference. You know, I, I think I thought about that a long time ago. Every day of my kids and grandkids, we have four kids, seven grandkids, I pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. If you aren't praying for him, who is, you know? And, all, and prayer is such an important thing for the church. I, I was thinking about even, um, you know, how can I really connect for, for prayer that way? And I, I was thinking about this whole situation when, when it broke loose with Ukraine. Didn't that just break your heart, all the things that were happening over there? And, and how did I pray with, with feeling about it? I thought about, I thought about uh, 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 Hebrews 13.3 where it says to suffer with those as if suffering with them. And I thought about one of the great heroes of our church was uh, Dr. Noel. He was a pediatrician. He's like a uncle, like a grandpa to our kids. And, and he was such a man of prayer. And I remember uh, one day I went to his house in the middle of the winter. I mean, you know, it gets cold like in Iowa, cold in Kansas, way below freezing. And I went in his house, and he didn't have the heat on his house, you know. And, he, and uh, he had his parka on, had his gloves on. You could see his breath. And I said, Doc, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? And he said, this helps me identify with the suffering church that we're suffering. Helps me pray for them. And I thought, that, that, that's praying that's praying with it. You're identifying. You know, you're identifying praying. Can you pray like that for your kids and for your church? Do we say, oh, our country's going so bad? Or can you get on your knees like Daniel and pray for God's will to be done and, and, and identify it with yourself? But how, what's my response to this? This great line of the tribe of Judah is going to win. But he's going to do things different than I think. He's going to do it like a lamb. I can pray. I can pray. I can stand in the gap and pray. 
And then what's the second thing I can do? I can lift my hands and worship, you know, and worship him. I, I've thought about that. Uh, we had a, a professor in Bible college named Dr. Duffield, and he, and he said we're going to go as far as we can to divide the word and, and get what the truth says, and then we're going to lift our hands and worship. None of us are going to fully understand all that's going on. But you know what the quick, quickest response to faith is for us sometimes? You're in charge and, and worship him. I've been thinking about that a lot lately and had to, been driving a lot to different places. And so I've been, I'm not a very good singer, but I've been singing a lot lately. You want to hear, I won't sing a song for you today. You don't want to hear one. But I've been, because it brings me into the presence of God. It, I, worship is one of the quickest responses to faith. And it's one of the things we say, God, I don't understand everything, but I worship you. You're God. You got things under control. So that's the response. That's the the next revelation of Jesus. Let's look up the next one. Revelation chapter 7. It's a revelation of Jesus as the as the good shepherd. As a good shepherd. It says in Revelation 7, 17, the lamb in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of water and wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 14, 4 says those, are, those that follow the lamb, they follow him wherever he goes. What, what's your response to Jesus Christ the good shepherd, and you as one of his sheep, you know? I, I think about that, and, 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 and here's a simple question. One of the things I worry about sometimes, am I asking Jesus to follow me, or am I following him, you know? Because what's, what's the right response to a shepherd? You follow him. You fo- he, he's leading, and the sheep follow him. Now, now, Jesus does follow us, doesn't he? I mean, he meets our needs. He takes care of us. Uh, we, you know, like Psalm 23, he leads us beside the still water, the green pastures. You know, he, he wants to follow your life. He wants to bless your family. He wants to answer your prayer. But primarily, our responsibility to the good shepherd is to follow him. I, I've been thinking a lot about John chapter 12, where Jesus said, he, here's what he said. He said, where I am, there my disciples will be. Would you just think with me about that verse for a minute? Where is Jesus? He's out there seeking to save the lost that are, that are in the community there. And that's where he is, and he needs you to be there with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I, well I've thought about that a lot lately. Let, let me see if I can give you an example of that. Uh, what, what keeps us from following the shepherd? Well, I think sometimes it's the busy, busyness of life. Uh, sometimes it's just selfishness because we want to do what we want to do. But every day when we get up, we should say, okay, good shepherd, where are we going today? Where, where can I follow you today? So I was, th- I was thinking about that. And, and we aren't home very much on the weekends, but this was a while back. And so I got up and I wanted to go out jogging. So I, I was going to go out jogging. And so I drove by the church. We live right around the corner from the church we pastored for 40 years. And I remember there was a men's prayer meeting there on Saturday morning. So I drove on by the church to do, go do what I wanted to do. And then I thought, wait a minute. What, what would be better for me to do? What, what would Jesus want me to do? Go back and pray with those guys? Or, or go to do what I wanted to do. So I went back and I prayed with him, right? So then I went to go jogging, and when I got there, listen, Jesus was there. What, what do I mean by that? I mean, there was a man there that was really going through a rough time, and it was one of those divine appointments where I was able to talk to him, pray with him, and, 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 and it was, I thought that he wanted me there. If I would have done what I wanted to do, I would have missed that. So when we leave church, I mean, it's wonderful to be in church. It's a great church. But the most exciting thing is you get to follow Jesus out into this hurting world and follow him. And, and I, that, to me, nothing is more exciting 
than, than stopping and, and, and hearing the Lord tell us to, to follow him someplace, right? You understand what I'm saying? Because he just wants you to be where he is. I was mowing my lawn the other day. I got a neighbor that moved in, rough old guy. Both of I'm a Vietnam veteran. He's a Vietnam veteran. But this guy's a rough dude, you know. And in fact, every I'll just tell you this. Every time I mowed his lawn because he couldn't mow very good, he'd bring me a, a six-pack of beer. I don't need a six-pack of beer. But I had to give, anyway, but I, I don't know why I told you that. But, he, but so I've been trying to witness to him. You know, trying to witness to him over and over again. And, and he's hard, man. He's a rough old dude. And so I was mowing my lawn. And this was just last week. And, and, and uh, he's only lived there a couple years. And, and, and uh, I was mowing, and I saw him get out of his truck. And, and I just felt the Lord say, go, go over there. But I want to get my lawn mowed, you know. And you got to get it mowed before it gets too hot. So I get to, did a couple more swats, and he was still getting out of his, his truck. And then I, I said, I better go over there. And I went over there. And you know what? Jesus was because he just got back from the doctor the report that his cancer had come back and he was hurt and he listened to me this time. He listened to me this time. And I talked to him about Jesus and he listened to him. What, what was the difference? I, I, Jesus was there. You just follow him. That, that's the most exciting thing about Christianity is the, the power of the Pentecostal church. They say when I did paper on the Pentecostal movement is empowering the laity. Every day we follow Jesus into this hurting world, and we and we be where He is, and, and so that we follow the Shepherd. That, that's a, such a powerful truth for us to be able to uh, understand it as we follow Him. Just two more here, two more today. Yep, uh, actually, three more. Revelation 19. This is a great one. Revelation 19 is a story of the Lord's return. And this is response, This is the picture of Jesus as the commander of the Lord of hosts or the captain of our salvation. Let me read this great section and tell you that I think we're in this, this story. We're in these verses here in Revelation 19, beginning with verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one except he himself knew. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, that's us that are with him, clothed in white linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. With it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What's your response to Jesus as the captain of your salvation? Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Let me just say this to you. You know this already. You've been a Christian. The Christian life is a fight. It's a fight. Isn't it? It's not for the sissies. It's not, if you're going to be a Christian, if Paul said, Timothy, he said, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Paul's summing up his whole, uh, whole career as, a, as, a, as an evangelist, says, I fought the good fight. Christianity is a fight, and we're soldiers. I remember one of the first experiences I had of, of vacation Bible school, didn't grow up in church, but went to vacation Bible school, was hearing Onward Christian Soldiers. Remember that song? I thought, I want to be a Christian soldier someday, you know? And, 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 and the Christian life is a battle. It's a fight. And, and we've got to keep fighting. We can't take our armor off. You know, I was thinking about the church I pastored. And, and I saw for 40 years, I saw some, some people go through horrible things, lose children, marriage, just, just 
difficult things, and, and yet they, they kept fighting the good fight of faith. They kept a sweetness. They didn't get bitter. They didn't get offended. They kept, they kept going to Jesus and, and just seasoned saints, you know, I could name them to you, that, that have fought the good fight that I admire so much because of all they went through and they trusted Jesus and because they keep fighting the good fight. You know, I, uh, one of the things when, when we first went to Vietnam, you know, we had brand new fatigues on and, and new equipment. We got dropped off. And, and, and leaving were all those guys, the battle-tested warriors. Their fatigues were all bleached out. They were going home, you know. we got to stay in the fight. You know, we are, Christian life is a fight, and we're soldiers of Jesus Christ. I think about, there's an interesting verse in 1 Kings 20, verse 11. It says, let, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. You know, it's not time to take the armor off, you know. Uh, as pastors, we'd be lying to you if you said the Christian life's not a fight. It's a fight of faith. We have to stand and fight in faith. And yet, the next one, just two more, I'll be finished here today. In Revelation 21, it's, it's all, Jesus Christ is also our current and eternal resting place. You know, when we finally get to heaven someday, there's going to be no need for the moon or the sun or anything. We're going to live in the Father and in the Son. We're going to, we're going to live in their presence. And, and God has provided a resting place even in the middle of our battle, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews talks about there remains a rest for the people of God. Isaiah says God's resting place will be glorious. Where is God's resting place now, and where is God's resting place for eternity? It's the person of Jesus Christ. It's in him. It's trusting him and abiding in him and, and believing in him and, and, and resting in him. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about it is, is we don't fight for the victory. We, fly, we fight from the victory. Thanks be unto God who's given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we fight. It is a fight of faith, but we can rest in him at the same time. You know, I was thinking about, uh, uh, it, it, you know, we're seated here. In this, in this beautiful sanctuary, but you're also seated somewhere else. You know that, right? In Ephesians 1, right now, if you're a believer and Christ is in your heart, you're seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have a heavenly seat beside in the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. And I think the key to a victorious Christian life is learning to live our lives out of that place seated in Christ Jesus. We can fight, but we can rest in him at the same time because he's already given us the victory, hasn't he? We fight, we fight from victory, not for victory. You know, and I, and I have this illustration here. He's heard this sermon before and hears this story all the time. But, but uh, I was thinking about uh, my boys and I love to watch. Uh, probably don't have any Kansas University basketball fans here, do we? Any KU basketball fans? No. Everybody's <laughs> shaking their head. Maybe Iowa, Iowa. Okay, maybe. Okay. But anyway, KU, they won the national championship this year. So anyways, the KU basketball fans, so, so, we, so I used to watch KU games with my boys. We'd all watch it on an app, and, and I, I would watch it and get so mad at the TV, at the players. I mean, I'd get mad and, at the refs. I mean, I really, it was non-Christian way I watched. I mean, I, no, seriously, I was convicted. I can't watch it like this. I, this I'm being sinful. You know, really, I, I couldn't understand why I'd get so mad when they were losing. But I, I said, I got to do something about this. So I solved the problem. So now what I do is I record the, the game record the games and so and so I, I don't I don't even if they lose I don't even watch it but if 
But if they win, I can watch the game in perfect peace, right? I, I don't care. I don't care if, the, if uh, David McCormick gets four fouls out. I don't care if they get behind by 40 points. I know that they're going to win, right? Because I recorded it, right? Now, now listen, Chris, we win in the end. We win in the, in the end. All this mess we're in, we win. God's kingdom is going to set up, and Christ is going to be victorious, and we're going to reign and rule with him forever and ever. We win in the end. Amen. Can we live like that? Can we live like that? Can we live as, as winners of the victory that's in Christ? That's the last. And then the very last revelation, and I'll be finished today, is, is the revelation of Jesus Christ and the soon coming king. Listen to, three, listen to what he says before the canon of Scripture is over. And what's your response to this? Jesus wanted us to know this. He says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he who uh, keeps the words of the prophecy of this book says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And the last thing Jesus says before the canon of Scripture closes, he testifies that he's saying, Surely I'm coming quickly. Do you believe that Jesus is coming quickly? Do you believe that? One of the, one of the key words in the last about the coming of Jesus is the word, his, his coming is near. The word near, the Greek word is kabuso. one thing when you think about the Lord's coming, that one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. In other words, life will just be going on and God will hit the throttle and Jesus will come back. Can we live like that? Can we live? I believe the fervent church of every age believe that Jesus can come back during their lifetime. I think he wants us to live with that excitement and that, that, that care. Can we live with that? Can that be a part of our life? And so, and so those are seven revelations of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just, let me just review them real quick and then uh, close in prayer here today. And I hope that, that it's encouraged you to just know Jesus in a deep way. To ask the Father, Lord, reveal your Son to me that I might understand Jesus Christ. And so let me go over this again. What's your response to the resurrected, ascended, and glorified Christ? So don't lose your life. What's your response to
come to church. Maybe, maybe you've even fallen away from the Lord. But today, maybe hearing this message about who Jesus is, you say, I, I need to make a greater change. I need to let him take over. He'll, he'll do things a lot better than I will. And if you'd like to do that today, would you just do a real simple thing? Would you lift your hand and, and maybe even lift your eyes and look up at me here? And I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose again. So Jesus, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would bear witness to those that have prayed that prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would just touch this wonderful church, God. And Lord, as they finish this time of prayer, Lord, many of them had prayer requests. May you grant those requests. Because, Father, you said, whatever we ask you in the name of your Son, may you do it for us, Lord. So answer the requests of the hearts of this great church. And bless these young pastors, God. Lord, the church is in good hands. When I see people like Kyle and Anna and their commitment to you and the way that they do things, Lord, and their zeal for you, Lord, bless them and protect them. Surround them with godly people that can give them good advice and, and, and let, let there be a great prayer shield around them here in this church, Lord. Raise up that prayer shield to protect them and watch over them, God. So, Lord, thank you, Lord. Gary and I uh, both talk about how that we see a great destiny for this church, Lord, growth for this church, Lord, because, because of this young couple that you brought here and these faithful saints that you 